Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter, how you doing? I am doing pretty all right. Had a little time off last week. Had then a, a busy weekend of travel and sleeping in different beds on different nights. And it all ended up with me, as I kind of mentioned in our uh, pre-recording uh, conversation, it, it led to me waking up uh, Tuesday morning when my alarm went off, not knowing where in the hell I was or what I was supposed to be doing. So it took about 30 seconds of me listening to my alarm before I realized, okay, wait a second, you're at home, it's Tuesday, and you do have to go to work. So, but you know, getting back into the groove of it and uh, doing all right. How about yourself? Doing similarly, you know, been, been tired, you know, with the change in the seasons, I feel like it gets dark so early that I'm like, oh man, it's so late. And then I look at the clock and it's 6.30 and I'm like, wait, I was ready for bed, but it's only 6.30, never mind. Uh, so that's been weird. It's always It always gets me when the weather changes. Oh yeah, it's definitely, and, and you know, it's been interesting. It was like early last week, it was rainy and in the 50s. And then it got up to almost the 80s. And then today it was rainy in the 50s. And then it's going to get back up to almost the 80s, so can't quite decide what it wants to do, but it definitely throws me off a little bit. That is wild. All right. Um, Before we get started talking about what we're doing, I have to do some Foley work here. I have have a beer I need to open because it's related to one of the things we'll be talking about today. wanted to open okay. it so I could drink while we were while we were chatting. I'm drinking Maybe. a pumpkin a pumpkin ale, everyone. It's pumpkin spice in your beer. It's very good. Anyway, Peter, what you been up to? Um, you know, I finally finished, well, I finished The Chronicles of Pradane and having reread all five of those books and to completion, as I said the last time we talked about it, they are delightful. They withstand the test of time. Uh, They are emotionally engaging. The characters are interesting. And considering how small the books are, the main characters who matter are fleshed out to the point uh, that they they feel like real characters. Uh, They're just really real written books. And I, uh, I encourage anyone listening who has not read them to go and pick them up and and read them and and i just uh, i love it um i finally finished wheel of time book 11 and have started into the uh, last three books the sanderson slash jordan books and uh, to his credit or to my dismay you pick not does it doesn't feel obvious yet that it was written by a different author <laughs> sanderson's thus thus far in in book 12 has done a pretty good job of aping Jordan's style to the point that it doesn't feel that different. And that makes me a little sad. I was kind of hoping it would feel a little different than Robert Jordan, but Hey, I'm in the home stretch. Well, I guess the question is if this is, you know, the first parts of book 12, is this essentially stuff Jordan already finished? And so Sanderson is just fix up doing fixing up the first, few hundred pages before he takes it over i don't know i guess you'll have to see if there's a if there's a noticeable tonal shift by the end of the book then you'll know and if yeah. not then you could just be like brando sando i guess you're good at aping robert jordan's very dry <laughs> style yeah so 
So I don't know. We'll, we'll get on that. And then uh, I do want to say that uh, I finally had enough time last week to get into Starfield enough that I think it officially now has its hooks in me. So Wait, how about, how are you finding it? Um, I am quite liking it. No, enough that, you know, I get home from work and um, it, it's probably a good thing. My wife is home this week uh, for her fall break. And so I have fought the desire to just go up and sequester myself at my office <laughs> for two to three hours every night. Uh, but no, I am enjoying it. And I don't know. I don't know if it's the game. I don't know if it's me. I don't know what I am finding the quests. And, and again, the side quests in particular, there's still a little um, blah in, in kind of that Bethesda way. But at the same time, they're engaging me a, a significant amount more than they ever did in Skyrim. That's and fair. So uh, I'm enjoying it and I'm looking forward to, uh, to continuing to play it. I'm still only about 18, 19 hours, uh, probably about 20 hours or so in now. Um, have done a little bit of the side quests. I think I have unlocked, what, three powers in temples so far. Okay. Um, nice. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I have come around on it at first. I was not very interested, not very impressed. Uh, but at this point, I, I think it's still, I mean, it's still, there's plenty of moments of, of good old fashioned Bethesda jank. Uh, Gareth oh, yeah. and I were, were joking around that. I came out of the office the other night and I just was laughing and I was like, uh, I landed on, uh, uh, I landed and walked into Aquila city and there's just this dude in his underpants walking the street with a double barrel shotgun. And I get close enough and it's like Aquila city security. And I'm like, okay, you just, game just forgot to spawn his clothes. <laughs> yeah. Someone forgot to put their clothes on when they left the, uh, the office <laughs> that morning. And I was telling Gareth about that. And he was telling me about one room he walked into where all of the furniture in the room just forgot to spawn in but everything that was on top of the furniture had. So there was just floating computers and cups and file folders and stuff in the room. And, uh, so, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it, it has definitely engaged me, uh, more than it was when we last talked a few weeks ago. Uh, and I think more so than, than Skyrim. You know, I remember when I finally decided to sit down and play Skyrim, my goal was to find the mods that would let me blast through it as fast as possible uh -huh. because I just kind of wanted to finish it so that I could officially be like, yay, I've, I finished Skyrim and I'm not feeling that with Starfield. I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the ride uh, more. So yeah, it's a, uh, uh, yeah, it's got a lot going for it. I think it's a really fun game. Yeah. It's not like stellar combat, but it's the best combat Bethesda's ever had by a country mile. Yeah, yeah. Even if I do occasionally miss, especially Fallout 3 era vats, where I could click my bumper and then time just stopped. And I could be like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But what have uh, you been but, up to? Yeah, uh, I have been, uh, in terms of playing games, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed Mirage came out, but I didn't want to spend money. 
because I've spent enough money on other things this month. I bought a new pair of glasses that should be here any minute. I bought a ton of comics this month because I got peer pressured into it by my partner. Um, So there's this series that I've wanted to pick up and read for a really long time. It's called A Distant Soil. It is uh, solely done by Colleen Doran, who is, you know, a longtime comics writer and artist and this is like her magnum opus that she plotted out for the first time when she was like 13 or something and has been chipping away at this ever since she was in high school she had like her first like stories of it published when she was like 16 or 17 um and then she like did nine issues with a certain company and then that company tried to rip her off so she took back the rights and then restarted it and it is planned to be a thousand page 50 issue epic and 42 issues so far have been published the last issue that came out was like 2009 or 2010 so she's not like been putting it out for a while i hope she finishes it before she dies but i've wanted to read it for years and like i had looked it up on ebay because that's you know sometimes you you do that when you're bored at work mm-hmm. and you're like oh, i wonder if you can find this and I found a lot that was issues one through 28 with like almost all of them signed. And I was like, mm, it's like 60 bucks, which is not actually a bad deal. Like two bucks sure. a comic is a pretty good deal, but I don't know. I don't know. And then I was talking with Cassie about it because I got like, you know, I have the eBay app on my phone. So it like popped up and was like, hey, this ends in 10 minutes if you want to bid <laughs> on it. So I told Cassie about it and she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Why have you not bid on this already? And I was like, oh, well, okay. I guess <laughs> carte blanche. I guess I can just get this. Uh, so I was able to get it and then uh, also ordered the rest of the other issues in like little chunks from like four other sellers, which mm-hmm. they ended up then being far more. But still, when it's all said and done, I'm getting each all 42 issues for a little less than four bucks a pop. That's not bad, seeing as how fresh comics are four bucks or five bucks a pop sure but uh really excited about that so in an episode or two i should hopefully be able to tell you all about the saga of a distant soil because i'll have had it and we'll be able to read it so i didn't want to spend money on assassin's creed mirage but i was like i could i could maybe go for some assassin's creed uh so i booted up valhalla again which i have not played since the since it came out i bought that like on release because i had really liked origins and yeah, i really so liked I. odyssey uh so i bought valhalla on release release remember liking it the least of those three but still thinking it was really good if just way too big and way too long yeah but that means i haven't played it in like four years or whatever uh, whereas i have already gone back since i'd played them to origins and odyssey and didn't finish them but like spent you know 20 30 hours running around in them again and being like hey bayek's pretty cool and hey i don't know how you could ever play this game as alexios because cassandra is so much better than alexios it's not oh i can't yeah no it's not even even a contest it's not even a contest uh but i have gone back and i'm playing uh valhalla and it is everything i remembered it was it's a really big game there's a lot going on eivor is a cool character and i'm having a very fun time if i do think it is too big and too long and that's not even including the three expansions it has and the fact that mirage was originally going to be an expansion to it until they were like 
uh, let's just make this a little bit bigger and just put it out as its own game. Yeah. But I'm having fun playing Assassin's Creed again. Nice. Yeah, I'm just glancing at a review and it looks like it's only about a 20-hour game instead of a 100-plus-hour game, which, you know, on the one hand, um, I think... I like that idea just from a time management standpoint at the same time, boy, I just, I loved getting lost in the world of Odyssey. That was just Odyssey was so something good. about Odyssey. that one just clicked for me. I think that I thought the story of origins out of those three was by far my favorite. Oh yeah. Um, and a lot of things about origins that I think it, it's the best of the games of those three. But uh, Odyssey was the one that sucked me in by far the most. I 100% agree. I think that Origins is the best story. I think Bayek and Aya's story is really beautiful and heartbreaking and like often a very beautiful meditation on loss and how you recover from that and like how, how you move on from the loss of a child while also going around and killing a lot of dudes with a cool wrist blade. So that's right. also cool. Um, but Odyssey is so much more fun, especially like just trolling around in your big old, like Spartan tripart and like just cruising around, ramming boats, pulling up to things, being like, who wants to have sex? And every woman in the entire world flocking to Cassandra being like, I want to. And you're like, let's go. Like, it's just so ridiculous and over the top. Like I just think <laughs> Odyssey was splendid in in a way that the other two, it, it just has a, a levity to it that neither of the other two have. Or uh, Valhalla is not as serious and like con- contemplative and like the sort of things that you got out of Origins, but it's also not as freewheeling as odyssey you aren't just like cruising around and being like i'm going to the isle of sappho babies you know that's where i want to be or you know (laughs) going to a town and then being like oh i'm so tired my wife just can't be pleased with all the sex we're having and cassandra's like i got it and then she walks in and walks out (laughs) and she's like i got it dude you're good i took care of your wife for who knows how long and then he's like here's a (laughs) hundred gold it's so ridiculous and also I really liked not having the blade. I liked that it was a projectile that I could toss. So the thing with Odyssey that was both my favorite and the most ridiculous was the combination of powers where as long as you're in stealth, you could tell basically you threw the spear, one shot killed people and then teleported Teleported to their body to pull the spear Mm -hmm. out. And then the body would de-res. So you didn't even have to worry about finding it or about mm-hmm. people finding it. It would just like go yeah. away. And so I spent so many hours just sneaking around in the dark and then just like, boom, assassinate. Boom. Yep. Ass- oh, it was so much fun. I did so much assassination as uh, in Odyssey and in Origins too. Honestly, in Valhalla, I assassinate a lot less. I will go to a place, start with assassinations. And as soon as I get seen, I'm like... Fuck you. And I pull out my broadsword, my two-handed Zweihander, uh-huh. and I'm like, okay. And then I start heavy swinging it, and four people are dead on the ground. <laughs> you know, my thing Because Eivor the- is... Eivor might not be able to teleport, but she is by far the strongest of these three characters by a country mile. Oh, yeah. No question. <laughs> she my just only- wipes the floor with everything. Yeah. 
my only, not only, but my biggest complaint, I think about, uh, about Valhalla and, and you kind of alluded to this when you said, you know, it's, it's more serious than Odyssey by far, but it's not as kind of capital S serious in terms of the subject and everything and, and the way it's approaching things as origins. My, my complaint with it is it felt a little too angsty and tryhardy. You know what I mean? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Not the whole thing, but there were definitely parts of it where I was just like, Oh, come on, Eivor. Could you brood just a little less? She does brood a little too much. Whereas um, you she's know, very, Cassandra she, you always know, she's a stoic. Felt... She's a stoic and a poet. That's who, that's who Eivor is. But like Cassandra is like, nah, I'm, I'm just <laughs> out here having a good time. Yeah, am I, she's just am like, I hunting down the 36 members of the Order of the Ancients on this ridiculous board of 36 people I got to hunt down and kill so I can eventually find and like unbrainwash my little brother? Yes. Am I having a real fun time doing it? Also, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, very. I'll definitely have to check out Mirage. I kind of forgot it had come out. So Yeah. I, it, from, all, from all the things that I've heard from people I know who are playing it, it feels like a weird fusion of the first Assassin's Creed game and the later three Assassin's Creed games, where it's a little more RPG than like those original Assassin's Creed games are. But still, it's in in structure, it's far more like the original two or three, where it's like you go, you get an assassination target, you sneak around in a crowd and follow some priests and like hide on a bench until you go stab, 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 and then that person's dead, and then you disappear. Which uh, I I think that that first Assassin's Creed game is a mess, but I still think it's really cool, and like so too Assassin's Creed Two. Like I think those two games are very cool. So having that style of gameplay while still having a bit more opportunity to roam in an open world like you do in the newer games, even if it is just a single city or just in the city of Baghdad, sounds like it could be really fun. Yeah, cool. But I got to wait till I get a paycheck again because I spent too much money on comics and glasses. (laughs) I mean, you know, it happens. It does happen. It happens to me a lot, especially like... (laughs) Now that I work at the comic book store, I just talk and think about comics a lot more. So I end up buying comics a lot more. Mm, like, you know, I have, I, I get store credit for every hour that I work there on top of my paycheck. And so, you know, as soon as I get $40 worth of store credit, then I am like having the order special or the owner special order me in the next, you know, fancy hardcover volume of the Rose of Versailles. And it feels so decadent when it comes in because it's this gorgeous hardcover. And I'm like, I didn't spend actual money on this though. It's pretend money. It's fake money. The best kind of money to spend. Basically it was free. Basically it's not because it was my labor, but it was over and above the money that I made for that labor. So it's great. There you go. Speaking of comics though, Speaking of comics, we should move to our topic for the day. I love it. Let's do it. So today, dear listeners, I wanted to do kind of an experiment um, with our format and the sort of things we're going to talk about today, because I was thinking, you know, this originally occurred to me, you know, a month, 
th- month and a half ago, and then it just got put on the back burner because we had other things we wanted to do. Um, but I know that often Peter is very busy. Peter doesn't have as much time to sit around, especially on the clock, and just like read or do something goofy <laughs> because some yeah, provost not on the clock. <laughs> so, some provost doesn't have a thing that she wants me to do because she has no idea how she wants me to do my job. So sometimes I sit around and I read while I'm on the clock. You don't have that. Uh, so I wanted to pick something that would be a little easier to parse, a little more digestible and something that we could kind of do in chunks. And so I solicited from a group of friends, tell me a single issue of a comic book that like stands as an exemplary version of what you can do in a single issue. It stands alone while still maybe suggesting what has come before and what might come after. Um, but it is a contained story because like in the olden days, that's what comics issues were. You would pick it up. You could pick up any issue. It would tell you basically a whole story, even if it did tie into what came before and what was coming after, but you could get a whole story's worth of stuff. Sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s, that kind of changed for single-issue comics in a lot of ways, and the focus became a lot more on larger arcs, four to six issue, maybe as long as eight issue arcs usually, because this also coincided with the boom of publishing trade paperbacks of single-issue collections. You know, it wasn't a big thing that happened, in the olden days, like notable things would get republished. You know, Watchmen came out in single issues and then DC has been very careful to make sure that Watchmen gets published every single year again. So they never have to give Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons their rights back. Um, but it's like an outlier. Most of the Uh comic books that came out in 1986 were not going to get collected editions in 1987 and come out every year after that. Sure. Cause that's just not, what was happening with most of comics. But with the rise of the local comic store, the direct market, and with the rise of people who wanted to go back and read some of these older stories, suddenly it became a thing that, oh, we're going to reprint a lot of these older collections of comics in, you know, in, in paperbacks. And then why don't we start publishing the newer stuff also? And so there became a tendency to write towards the trade. To plan your thing as a 120-page story and then obviously break it up into six 20-page issues because that's how comics work, but not really thinking about how this should be six 20-page things that maybe can combine to tell a story over those 120 pages total, but instead the final goal is having a story that finishes after six issues rather than... A, a discrete thing that you can enjoy by itself. Um, which I think is to the detriment of single issue comics, but I don't know. What is your experience with reading comics in single issues? I know when you were kids, you had a few, but past that, I don't know. What do you think about comics as like the single issue, the magazine, the floppy, what's your kind of experience or, or, uh, perception of those? Um, so I would say that, my perception of those is that if it was a more common thing, that'd be cool because I, there, there are so many comics out there that I would like 
to dabble in. I'd like to check out. But there is, and whether this is kind of created by me or if it's actually real, but there's this at least a perception that I have that the cost of entry is too high, that I can't just pick up an issue of a comic and read it, those 23 pages more or less, and at the end be satisfied. And Mm -hmm. so often I find myself shying away from doing that. I don't bother diving in and, and trying to read things because I am worried about getting to the end of that single issue and either starting it and not feeling like I have a freaking clue what's going on or again, getting to the end and feeling like it just sort of ended and, and I'm left hanging. And so, you know, if it, if, if at least it felt to me or there was kind of this perception that that was a more common thing, I think I would actually probably read more comics. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. It's really, it's hard to get into, especially a series like the series we're going to talk about today that has had six, 700 issues total over the course of the run of this character. And so you're like, okay, well, where do I start? Because if I go back to 1964 and pick up Daredevil number one, guess what? It kind of fucking sucks because Stan Lee can't write a comic. So, okay, I start with number one, then what? Like, how long does it take for this to get good? The answer is it takes to, like, the 70s for that to get good. (laughs) It's pretty bad for the first 65 to 70 issues, and you're like, what am I doing here? I don't want to have to read this. And, like, it clearly has become, like, starting points, like, hopping on points have become a real problem that neither DC nor Marvel know how to tackle, which is why the numbering becomes incoherent for a lot of these long-term heroes, you know, like, yes. So I I want to just throw this in here and I'll let you again, continue and, and kind of really get, Basically, what I found I had to do, so I read what we read on Marvel Unlimited Uh because I I have that subscription, which I don't use nearly as much as I should to really make it worth the money I spend on it, but sue me, whatever. Um, But I had to put in what you sent to me, name of the comic, V1 number, or V3 number, whatever. I had to put that in Google and then I would see the covers that Google gave me. And as long as I had three or four covers in a row that were the same cover, then I could put that same search string into the search in Marvel Unlimited and out of the vomit that it gave me of options to choose from, then I would pick it. I would go, okay, there's the cover that matches and pick that one. It was Uh almost incomprehensible. It's really bad. It's really hard to find this stuff because it just, and, and it's true also if you're trying to collect them in paper, you know, I have told this story many times about 
someone coming to me after Captain Marvel the movie came out and said, hey, I know that you're a big Carol Danvers fan. I want to read some Captain Marvel comics. Where should I start? And I was like, oh, Christ, where do you... (laughs) Okay, so you're going to go to the store and you're going to see four different books called Captain Marvel Volume 1. And of those four choices for Captain Marvel number one, you're good picking any of them, but they do follow one another. This is the first one that's number one. This is the second one that's number one. This is the third one that's number one. This is the fourth one that's number one. So could you pick up the fourth one? Sure. But all of that other stuff still happened. So like good fucking luck figuring this out. Um, sorry if you want to get a more total view of who this character is. Instead, what I say is, Ah, pick this pick this one because it's a good story and it's going to kind of start in Midiores and you need to just know what you know from the movie you just watched that Carol Danvers has superpowers because she's cool like that's basically all you need to know to pick up volume three of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run on Captain Marvel and if you like that come talk to me and I'll suggest a different one but like <laughs> this is incomprehensible this is inscrutable to <laughs> yes, a person who comes is. into to a person who just walks into the comic shop, maybe doesn't want to or walks into a Barnes and Noble, maybe doesn't want to bother someone. It's different if you go to the comic store. You're like, this person knows what they're talking about. They work in a comic store. And sometimes we do. Often we don't, but sometimes we do. Um, no one at Barnes and Noble's gonna know shit about shit when it comes to fucking DC and Marvel comics. So you go and you look at this shelf there's four captain marvel volumes one and you're like what and then you just like google or you pick one on a whim or you just try to figure it out from there it's not it's not friendly to a new reader other series or other publishers don't have this problem manga doesn't have this problem if you want to read one piece i say why would you do that to yourself and then you say because i'm curious and then i say okay well you start with volume one and then you read to volume 126 or however many fucking volumes well one piece there is <laughs> but like there's a clear place to start one piece if you want to read one piece there's a clear place to start naruto if you want to read naruto you start with volume one of naruto but if you want to read daredevil where do you start daredevil especially if you talk to someone who's like well, the first 70 issues are not very good. And then you're like, the first 70 <laughs> issues are not very good? And then that person's like, well, and honestly, the Conway and Wolfman runs aren't very good either. You should probably start with Frank Miller's run, which is like 160 or so. And they're like, 160 <laughs> is when this comic book gets good. And you're like, yeah. And to be fair, if you're not on Marvel Unlimited, you aren't even going to be able to find those older things because they're not in print. Nobody cares about Jerry Conway's run on Daredevil. That's not in print right now. It's only like major series, like the major storylines and the newer stuff that you can find in print. But then, like you said, it gets complicated when you're on Marvel Unlimited, which does have everything from eight months ago and past, basically everything yeah to both its benefit and detriment to its benefit that you could start with the very first one if you wanted to suffer but to its detriment that when i say hey i want to read uh issue 12 of daredevil and you're like dog there are seven issue 12s of daredevil (laughs) dog what do you want me to read here like 
I will say there's only one volume, or there's only one issue 266 of Daredevil, which is one of the ones we read today, because that's high enough numbers. No comic series from Marvel or DC gets that many comics at this point until they start just using the original numbering, which again, this is a stupid thing Marvel does. Marvel will, you know, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> they will, you know, put out uh, a series and they're like, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to have uh, 18 issues of volume four of Daredevil. And then we're going to turn it over to someone else. And after the... Re- Here we go. I'm going to read from the Wikipedia page, just so that everyone's clear. <laughs> Following the release of issue 28, much like the other Marvel series as part of the Marvel Legacy event, the Daredevil series renumbered as if it had never been relaunched with number 595, which was released November 8th, 2017. <laughs> so it went from issue 28 to issue 595. What do... What are we doing here, guys? What are we doing? Uh, here? Who knows? Who knows? And like, sure and they try to they try to have their cake and eat it too with a lot of these more recent books. Like, you know, you could go and buy Daredevil issue one that just came out like two months ago. Right now, there's a brand new Daredevil issue one, but it says in small letters underneath the one L G or L C Y L G Y something for short for legacy number 720, whatever, <laughs> because it is simultaneously issue one and issue 760, whatever. Because it is the 760th comic that Daredevil's name was on. And it's just, it's incomprehensible. Uh-huh. But regardless, we're not here to talk about the incomprehensibility of single issues. We're here to talk about why the single issue still can work as a format. So as an experiment, or as, uh, not as an experiment, as our, uh, uh, you know, adventure for this episode, I picked three single issues from three big, well-regarded runs in Daredevil's publishing history. And y'all, everyone knows who Daredevil is. If you don't know who Daredevil is, I guess go watch seasons one and two of the Netflix show. They were pretty good. Don't watch season three. It's not as good. <laughs> um, but it's it's it was fine still. If you, if you liked issues, seasons one and two, then enjoy season three as well. Maybe don't skip the Defenders. Important things happen there. I'm sorry, you'll have to see Iron Fist. But uh, we all know who Daredevil is. Kid gets blinded in an accident with ooze that gets in his face, blinds him, but enhances his other senses. Then that ooze goes down into the sewers and makes the Ninja Turtles, because that is the premise of Ninja Turtles number one, is that it's the exact same ooze that gave Daredevil his powers that went into the sewers and turned the turtles into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. That's because... Did not know that, that. The Ninja Turtles are a parody of Daredevil. In, in case no one knows that, the, the Ninja Turtles were invented as a parody of Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. So, now that you know that, you're like, oh, this makes me think about the Ninja Turtles differently. But regardless, he gets blinded, but he gets super senses. Uh, then his dad, who's a boxer, doesn't throw a match he was supposed to throw and gets killed by the mobsters who wanted him to throw the match. And then he, poor young Matt Murdock is left adrift. He becomes a lawyer and also the costumed crime fighter Daredevil. Um, 
He's plagued with Catholic guilt because he is the most Catholic character in the history of comics. Um, and therefore has to deal with feeling guilty about nearly everything he does in a way that uh, Spider-Man could never. Uh, <laughs> which is, again, things that we're going to be dealing with in some of the comics that we read today. Um, and then he's had various misadventures since then. Sometimes people know that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. Then there's some sort of retcon to make it so that nobody knows that Daredevil, that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. Sometimes they're very overwrought, like moody, sad crime comics. Sometimes they're more lighthearted. Sometimes he moves to San Francisco and has the Black Widow as his co-star in his book for 50 issues back in the 70s. Like, he's had a storied run. He's been around for a long time. But there are serious... The thing that is interesting about Daredevil... I'm talking too much, but I'm going to keep talking. The thing that's interesting about Daredevil... It's that after about Frank Miller's run, nearly every time they put someone on that book, they do some of the best comics writings they've ever done in their life. Like, there's not a single character who has more, like, stellar star turn roles for writers and artists than Daredevil. It's wild. Interesting. You've got Frank Miller, who's both writing and drawing back in the 80s. Hugely influential. It's what gets Frank Miller his job doing Batman a few years after this. And those, and him doing Batman, changed comics forever, probably for the worse. Because then you get the one-two punch of Batman Year One, which is only good because of Magic Kelly's art, and Batman The Dark Knight Returns, which is one of the worst fucking comics in the world, and it's one of those ones that everybody reads because everyone says it's good, but I hate to inform you, dear listeners, it's terrible. And then Frank Miller has just been doing racist, jingoist crap since then. But, like, that's not what we get here. Well, a little bit. We'll talk about it when we get there. (laughs) Um, But this is, like, the thing that made Frank Miller Frank Miller was his run on Daredevil. It's where you get Electra introduced. It's where so many of the concepts that are essential to Daredevil are introduced. He comes back for a short run later called Born Again. Guess what the Disney Plus version of Daredevil is called? Daredevil Born Again. So like the the long shadow is cast by Frank Miller's run. And Nocenti is another person who has a very long run. She's the person who has the longest run with Daredevil ever. She's an incredible comics writer who I think is really slept on by a lot of people because she's just been doing consistently great work since the 80s. Um, one of the comics we read for today was an Anna Nascenti book. But then after Nascenti, and you know, she's being drawn by J.R.J.R., John Romita Jr., who is still you know making comics today. He is literally the artist for Spider-Man right now. This dude is a legend. His father was a legend, and they've both worked in comics for decades. So again, star turns um you know afterwards frank you know frank miller comes back then they relaunch the book with uh kevin smith the film writer or the filmmaker kevin smith it's about the only good comics he's ever done they're not very good but it's the only good ones he ever did um and then they turn it over to brian michael bendis who up to this point was not really a well-known comics writer but this is what makes him a well-known comics writer Then it gets turned over to uh, Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark, 
who go on to have star-making turns for both of them. Both of them were like weird indie comics dudes. They come in and do a run on Daredevil that's incredible. And, you know, uh, star turns for both of them. Eventually, Mark Wade comes onto the book. Another guy who'd been in comics for decades comes on, revamps the book, takes it in a lighter direction. Chris Samney comes on as the main artist, and this is his one of his first big ongoing books, and he's incredible. Um, it's followed up by a run by Charles Soule, who I think is really inconsistent. Sometimes he's okay, sometimes he's really bad. I talked at length about why that Star Wars novel he wrote was one of the worst things I've ever read. Mm-hmm. But he's a lawyer by trade, so guess when he does good comics works? She-Hulk and Daredevil, the lawyer characters. Mm-hmm because he's a lawyer so his daredevil comics are really good and then you know chips darsky takes over more famous as the artist for sex criminals but actually writes a pretty good comic as well he's the batman writer right now doing did great work on daredevil so like this is a character that for whatever reason when you put someone on a daredevil book more often than not they turn in some of the best work of their career which i think is really interesting and I guess I don't, I don't know why that happens. I don't know what yeah. it is about Daredevil as a character, because like it's not true for every character. Most Spider-Man comics are bad, unfortunately, because Spider-Man is the best character, and then almost every sure. comic about Spider-Man kind of sucks. Yeah. So I don't know what it is about Daredevil, it and is like really interesting, they, though. they take him in such different directions, which you know we'll see in the three comics that we read for today. These are three very different approaches, even if there's some similarities between Miller and Nascenti. They take him in three very different directions, but they all work. And they're all recognizable, recognizably daredevil stories. And that's one of the things that I think is so interesting. So when I wanted to do this, again, I reached out to a bunch of friends and someone recommended Daredevil issue 191, volume one, issue 191, which was the first of the three we read for today. Um, and then I was like, damn, Daredevil is like the one to do. You do a triptych of Daredevil comics. I'm going to pick three different Daredevil comics and read them back to back to back. So our selection for tonight, as I mentioned, written and drawn by Frank Miller, volume one, issue 191, which is actually the last issue that Miller wrote before he left or did before he left the comic and moved to DC for a while. Then we have Volume 1, Issue 266, which is by Ann Nocenti and John Romita Jr. And then we have issue or Volume 3, Issue 12, um, which is by Mark Wade and Chris Samney. Before we talk about the individual issues, um, you know, the, we got 1983, 1989, and then like 2011, 2012 here. How did you find the experience of reading these uh, a, have you ever read Daredevil comics before, Peter? And B, how did you find these? A, no, I have not. Okay. B, I enjoyed them. I, again, kind of getting back to what I said earlier, I liked the more self-contained nature. Uh, I thought they were interesting to varying degrees. Uh, and and I enjoyed reading them. What did you... what? How did you find that they worked as single stories? Did you feel like you got a whole story's worth from each of these issues? The first and the second and the third, yes. The second, not as much. Um, the second one was probably my least favorite of the three. I didn't dislike it, but I was very engaged in the first. 
I very much enjoyed the third and the second one uh, was the one. It's that, kind of a mess. Uh, yeah. It was the one that I felt least sort of satisfied with. That's fair. I th- I really like it for conceptually what it's doing, but I think it stands alone the worst of the three. As I reread them this morning, getting ready for this, I was like, this is a good comic, but like it works because you know that Daredevil's often in a, in a shitty place. Like he's often mm-hmm. in a really cruddy place. So of course he's in a cruddy place in this book, which I think juxtaposes in interesting ways with what we see in volume three. Um, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, but like 191, it's it, the name of this issue is roulette for anyone who knows anything about daredevil comics. You've probably heard of the comic roulette. And that is the issue that we read here. Um, like I said, this was the very last issue that Frank Miller wrote and drew before he left the book. And long story short, the premise of this issue is that Bullseye, a Daredevil's arch nemesis, is in the hospital. His entire body is broken. He can't even speak because Daredevil beat the shit out of him like a few issues earlier because he killed Elektra, which was Daredevil's, you know, love interest. Um, and so he like took him to the death, to death's door, but did not let him cross. And so this issue is daredevil showing up to, uh, bullseye's hospital room with a revolver and saying, we're going to play Russian roulette and then tells the story of what has broken him as a person essentially lately, uh, as he makes bullseye a victim to him playing russian roulette until the very end of the issue when it is revealed that the gun was never loaded there were never any bullets in it and i guess those two are still just stuck together how did you find this one peter so as i said it was definitely the one that was most um uh, gripping is probably the word i'd use i mean it really pulled me in very quickly and uh i'll be honest did not surprise me at all when the gun wasn't loaded. That was what I expected. Of course. Uh, but the story that kind of goes along the way of, of this kid uh, was interesting. And yeah, I thought it was a good way for daredevil to sort of be processing through his conflicted feelings where on the one hand, you know, he, at least I, I, I get the impression that he would love nothing more than for that final click to actually have a bullet and him to just blow bullseye's brains out. But honestly, at the same it time, also feels like he would be, he would like nothing more for it to have been in the chamber when he pulled the trigger on himself, because correct. there is so much self-loathing in this entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I did. I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was a a neat way to explore the conflict that Daredevil is feeling. Yeah. Uh, and and so I thought in that I thought in that regard it worked really really well. And juxtaposed with this game of roulette is Daredevil telling the story of this kid who's basically hero worshiping him, and he gets kind of high on the idea of this kid hero worshiping him. And some bad stuff happens to this kid because the kid's dad is a bad person. 
And then the kid ends up basically in a mental institution because he's having dissociative identity disorder and thinks that he's Daredevil. And that's told simultaneous with, you know, Matt Murdock telling the story of his father and him saying, my dad was the best dude who ever lived. Wait, no, he was an abusive asshole who actually was a drunkard who beat me. But he was also simultaneously the best dad who ever lived. So, like, there's this tension between the reality of who his dad was as a person and the way that he still idealizes and idolizes his father in the exact way that the kid idolizes daredevil as a hero so much that he starts to believe that he is daredevil while you know matt murdoch himself knows he's not a good person like even if daredevil is doing good things and keeping bad people off the streets from doing bad things fundamentally he believes that this is a sin he believes that this is a thing he should not be doing but that there is no other answer and so it's really interesting to juxtapose the way that this kid feels about daredevil with the way that daredevil feels about his own father yeah and uh it's just it's really overwhelming i feel like miller is really starting to come into his own for better or for worse here as an artist Um, because you start to see a lot of the like really lurid coloring and really lurid shadows that really characterize his work, especially in the Sin City series, which is all in black and white and is almost entirely told in shadow. And you really start to see this here in a way that you didn't see it in his earlier work. Um, it's really stellar to look at. Um, but one thing that I think is very interesting and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of talk about the single issue as a unit is so the penultimate page of the book is daredevil holding the gun to bullseye's face. It's the last, last round and he goes to pull the trigger and then you turn the page and Oh, it's the bullpen bulletins and an advertisement for the dark crystal you do not get the payoff the (laughs) satisfaction of that final page because of the way that the issue is laid out and because of the way that they placed the indicia into the issue all the paratext all the stuff that goes around the comic influences the way that you as the reader are like deal with reading this comic because he pulls the trigger and you turn the page and then it's like stan lee fearless publisher presenter and creative director of mighty marvel called me up from his office out of los angeles today and you're like what also the dark crystal what a movie and then you turn the page and see click um (laughs) and it just it works in a way that you don't get outside of the single issue because the collected version doesn't have all of the paratext because they're not they're certainly not going to let ads be run again in another version without getting money for them. And obviously the Marvel Unlimited versions also don't have that stuff because they're Correct. just digitized versions of the collections. So you just get the satisfaction of turning the page and the story just continues. But if you're a person getting this in December of 1982 and buying it off the newsstand and you flip that page and you're just like, and even though you easily just flip to the next page, there's something there, you know, like the, the action of having to turn the page twice to get the satisfaction of what's going to happen to the story, to get to that climax and that denouement really 
speaks to what you can do in something like a single issue that you can't do in any other mode of reading comics without it feeling contrived. Yeah, I could see that. I, as obvious, as you kind of alluded to, obviously, I did not have that experience because I was reading it on Marvel Unlimited. Here's a question for you. Since you were reading it digitally, what are the colors like? What is the coloring like? I haven't seen whether they've like recolored it from the four color, you know, bubble dot printing. What does it look like colors wise? Is it muted? Is it bright? Like, what does it look like? Uh, in that issue, the colors were a little more, I don't know if washed out is the word I'd use, but they're not super vibrant. Like daredevil suit is much closer to an orange than it is a red. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, you don't get the idea of the, uh, the layered colors being what makes it up, but, uh, but it, it wasn't super, you know, uh, it didn't feel super vibrant, super bright. They were in that issue in particular, they were again, a little bit more on the toned down side. Yeah. Interesting. I, I often miss four color printing when it comes to newer comics and especially when it comes to reprinting older comics, because there's a, a feel to it, a flatness to the color that you don't get with digital colors that I miss. Um, and also, you know, there are a lot of pages of this where it doesn't quite line up right. There's a lot of bleed where uh, colors are not exactly where they're supposed to be. And I love that in a comic. I love when a comic does that. I love when a comic looks like that. And you just don't get that in newer digital versions unless the artist is specifically and explicitly like trying to invoke that style. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like there's a, there's a book on the shelves right now, the newest version of Birds of Prey. Issue two came out like last week. And Jordi Belair is the colorist. She's a really good colorist if I think she's a little safe as a colorist. She's not doing really inventive stuff until I saw her issues of Birds of Prey, which invoke and evoke the four color printing in the way that it kind of washes out of the line art in certain ways and the kind of more muted colors to it. And it's really stellar to look at because you're like, I know that this was produced digitally in the year of our Lord 2023, but it feels like a comic from 1987. And I love that about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I see why lots of people name Daredevil 191 as the best Daredevil comic, if not one of the best single issues ever made. I think that that's pushing it, but I do see why people think that it's an incredible Daredevil comic because it deals with who the character is and what he's going through really, really well. So yeah. let's move on to the second one. The second okay. one, like I said, Annocenti, JRJR. It is another famous issue. Um, I can't remember the title of it off the top of my head. Uh, a beer with the devil. That's what it's called. What happens in this one, Peter? Oh, um, I mean, it's what, is it Christmas Eve or it's the holidays? I couldn't tell. It is Christmas exactly. day. Christmas Eve, Christmas. Oh, okay. There we go. Christmas day. And it starts out a bunch of people outside, uh, in the snow and lots of little snippets of conversations, people getting ready to go home to open presents, to have romantic liaisons uh, to celebrate the holiday. And then 
uh, it kind of zeroes in on a bar and the people outside are talking about how sad it is that there are people in the bar and that they're pathetic and they don't have anything. And then you go inside and the bar is totally packed with people. And, you know, one of those people is daredevil with uh, bandages on his chin and uh, he's drinking a beer and, uh, you know, some dude tries to talk to him and then some lady comes up and kind of starts talking to him and sort of seducing him more almost like in an intellectual slash. I almost want to use the term hedonism, but not in the traditional way. The hedon, you know, hedonism for Matt Murdock would be to just stop feeling his guilt. That's the mm-hmm. literally the most hedonistic thing that Matt Murdock could do would be to not beat the shit out of himself. And, you know, so uh, he's kind of getting seduced in the meantime, there's uh, some brothers who one ends up stabbing the other with a broken bottle. And this is all happening. And Matt Murdock's kind of sitting there. And then uh, this woman that he's talking to sort of morphs into uh, Mephisto. And uh, there you go. That's kind of what it was to me, at least. Yeah. So literally the devil himself comes and seduces Matt Murdock in this uh-huh. issue of Daredevil. Is it the Christian devil? I don't know because Marvel comics does posit that Christianity exists. Um, and that like Jesus was real. Like this is what the Marvel universe says, but like that doesn't mean that that's the only God it's weird. Is Mephisto the Christian devil? I don't know. Is he just some other kind of devil? I don't know, but he does show up in guys in drag, uh, gets Matt Murdock to kiss him. And then like, does some real weird esoteric shit for a few pages and then drops him into a al- an alleyway where some homeless people say, do you want to come to the soup kitchen with us? And then he says, sure. Uh-huh. So like this is a daredevil who is so down on his luck and so broken. Not only does he have nowhere to go, the only place he has to go is the soup kitchen. So you said you didn't like this one as much as the other ones. I didn't. Why do you think that is? Does, was it the oh, writing? Was it because it didn't feel something. like it's single story? No, I'm going to say something heretical here. Say um, it. J.R.R.'s art style has never worked for me. Uh, That's okay to say. I don't like J.R.J.R. either, even though I know he's just like a legend. His dad, J.R.S.R., mm. incredible. J.R.J.R. Okay. occasionally works for me. But most I've of the time, I'm just bad, like, because like I say, John that. Romita Jr., every time I read something or that, you know, that he has done the art on, like I can, first of all, I will give him this. I can almost instantly tell, and I am not by any stretch of the imagination, a comics connoisseur, but his style is such that I kind of go, oh yeah, mm, nope, I get it that, yeah. And, and I don't love it. So I didn't enjoy the art style. Um, I, I don't know. It was... Whereas I thought that the previous one, you know, the Frank Miller one, they're both kind of addressing the same thing, which is this idea of all the conflict that is in Daredevil, much of it self-inflicted, self-created. But I felt like this one, again, I still thought it was interesting, but it felt more abstracted. Mm Mm-hmm the conflict within him felt more abstracted. And I think 
part of it is all of these things are going on around him and he is sort of just ignorant of it, whether willfully or because he's drunk or because of whatever, or because the devil is there distracting him, you know, either way, um, it just didn't feel, it didn't have the same kick that the yeah. previous one did. Yeah. That's kind of like, how I felt, felt too. like a meandering meditation on the character of daredevil. Whereas I felt like the first one, while still sort of a meditation on the character and what makes Daredevil Daredevil, uh, it felt like a more cohesive kind of focused meditation rather than just this kind of freewheeling one. You know, I kind of feel the same way. I feel like this was one that was recommended to me. Once I had decided we were going to do three Daredevil issues, I reached out to the Daredevil subreddit and posted on there. And I said, give me your best examples of single issues. And this was one that came up quite a few times. So I was like, okay, let's do this one. Again, I generally really like Annocenti as a writer. Um, And I thought this was good. It just wasn't as good as, uh, you know, some of this other stuff that she's done. And it wasn't as good as these other two comics. Um, and which I think is even sadder in that this was not my first choice for a Mark Wade Chris Samney book. It was my second choice because I couldn't get the first choice in physical copy. And I wanted to, again, compare it in terms of the presentation and paratext with the other two. Um, but it's, I think, better than this one. I still think it's a really good issue of, of comics. Um, I do think that you know, when it gets really esoteric and the devil is having his conversation and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, that's where the art really works for me because it is so evocative and out there um, that it makes the issue ultimately work for me more than it would have otherwise. Um, But I do agree with you that it just doesn't feel like it has the spark that that Miller issue did. But I still think that it's, you know, it is... It sure feels like he's even at a lower place than he was in roulette, which is saying something. Oh yeah. I would agree. People love to make daredevil suffer. That is the (laughs) most popular thing uh, to do to the character is to make him suffer unless, and this segues us to our last issue. You're Mark Wade. When Mark Wade came onto the book, um, there had been, you know, a, a lot of runs I've just talked about. Almost all of them are real bummers about how terrible Daredevil's life is. And, you know, you did you watch the Netflix show? I watched the first, oh, I watched the first two seasons. The second season is the one where, yeah, yeah, I watched the first two seasons. I never did get to season three. Second season's where Electra shows up. It's where it kind of loses yep. the plot a little bit. Yeah. And, and where they adapt a lot of the stuff from these runs that, you know, we have been talking about a lot of what you see in that, uh, that second season is a lot of the Frank Miller stuff. And also the book, he did a five issue miniseries called daredevil, the man without fear that was drawn by JRJR in the early nineties. And a lot of that also showed up in the daredevil show. Um, but so, you know, daredevil was in, it's always really a bummer. And Mark Wade comes onto the book. Have you ever read Mark Wade as a comics writer before? Nope. I really, I tend to really like Mark Wade. I don't read a ton of his stuff, but whenever I find out he's on a book, I always think to myself, that's going to be pretty good. Um, one of my all time favorite Superman books is a Mark Wade book. It's uh, Superman birthright, which is often if people ask me, 
hey, I want to read a Superman book. What should I read? I say, go read Superman Birthright because it is a really good introduction to the character um, and has like a lightness of tone that I think you need to have a good Superman story to work. So when I heard that he was going to be on Daredevil, I was like, that doesn't track to me because, you know, this was back when I was getting back into comics in the late 2010 or the 2000s, early 2010s. And I heard Mark Wade was going to be on Daredevil. And I was like, but he does lighter comics and Daredevil mm-hmm. is the sad sack book. But what he does in his, you know, 40, 50 issues in the book is he brings a levity to Daredevil that you didn't really see since the 70s. And I think it works towards the book being revitalized to a certain extent. And I think that's a lot of what we see in this comic. What happens in volume three, issue 12 of Daredevil, Peter? So he and the new or a new DA uh, are finally going on a date. Uh, There's a whole little thing going on where his uh, Daredevil's uh, identity has been revealed and then he has gotten a retraction, but so it's kind of out there, but he's still trying to deny it. And, you know, she is, she's pretty certain that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, but she, they go on a date and she lets him blindfold her while they go on this date to what looks like kind of a fair type, you know, maybe a, a little carnival type thing at a pier or something like that. Looks like they're at Atlantic City. Setting. Yeah, something like that. And uh, in the midst of this, there's a few little, you know, kind of humorous little things about their relationship up to this point where she's trying to, they're kind of going back and forth as to whether he's daredevil. Uh, and then really the the crux of this is him kind of telling the story about he and Foggy, uh, about how he and Foggy became friends and went from roommates where he couldn't really stand him because basically he describes his breathing was like a foghorn to him. And that's where the nickname foggy came from, but goes into this, uh, this story about while well, they're in law school and a particular professor who despised foggy for various reasons. Murdoch was kind of this cranky old teacher's pet. And he tries to get uh, foggy expelled, blaming him for plagiarism. And, uh, Matt basically turns it into, turns the classroom into a pseudo courtroom and, uh, is able to sort of prove Foggy's innocence in this and prevent him from getting expelled. And at the end of that, they now are our best friends. And uh, I just want to say, I thought it was great. It was very fun. It was kind of delightful. Uh, it, it was, again, while it didn't engage me perhaps as much as the first one, it was by far my favorite and very much more in line with personally the kind of entertainment that I, I seek out these days. Just, uh, I really enjoyed it. This one was one where I was like, and I took note of the writer and thought to myself, okay, if any of the rest of his stuff is like this, I would read more by him. Honestly, you could do worse than just reading his daredevil run. It stays as good as this. And like, it's a great introduction to the character. It keeps this levity to it, even while things do get more serious as the book goes on. And Chris Simony's art is just incredible. I think he's yeah, one of the really, greats really working the right now. Uh, you know, he uses really, really thick lines and and strong, uh, strong faces in a lot of his art that I think just works really, really well. Um, you know, this is a dude who was born to draw the character Thor. 
And like, does he do Daredevil good too? Yeah, but you should see Chris Samney's Thor, man. That's what Thor should look like all the time. Um, and so I just, I think it's a really fun book in the way that it, you know, it it does tell us a full story, like we were talking about. It works as a single issue while clearly oh, yeah, setting awesome. up, set, setting up some big stuff in the last two pages because, you know, they go on this date they're clearly hot for each other. They're going to kiss. Things are going well. And then some AIM agent shows up and drops some gas and then disappears. And so it leaves you with like, well, well crap, I guess I got to go read issue 13 to figure out what happened. <laughs> it's like the perfect, the perfect marriage of I got a whole story here. I enjoyed a whole story here. Yeah. But I really want, I'm, I'm, I'm about picking up the next issue next month, you know? Yeah. So it really rides that that line really, really well. We've been going long. I think we should probably wrap up. But I do, I, I really think that all three of these, maybe a little to a lesser extent the middle one, but I think that they show why I still think there's value in the single issue as a unit of comics consumption when the creators are working with that in mind which yeah. is not always the case. A lot of times, as we talked about, it's just not. But when they do, like when they nail it, it's just about the perfect thing because you can get in and out in 10 or 15 minutes, really enjoy yourself and leave feeling satisfied but wanting more, which that's just about perfect. Yeah, um, I agree. And these are all pretty good examples of that. And Daredevil is an interesting character to look at simply because there are so many to choose from. I probably got suggested upwards of 20 different issues that people said were a great single issue Daredevil story that you could read by itself, which is pretty wild. Yeah. But no, and uh, like anyway. I say, I, I enjoy the idea of the single issue and uh, it, it's one of those things that if it, again, uh, I, I know I think I, well, I, I believe I talked about this sometime past on an episode, uh, but and I have a hard time blaming the Marvel Unlimited folks, but trying to use that app to find, unless you know exactly what you're, what you're looking for, trying to find it is very difficult. And I think a lot of that is what you discussed previously, the way it is almost incomprehensible, how they're broken up into, I mean, again, you, you click on Daredevil and you've got, you know, okay, well, here's Daredevil 1964 to 19-something, and here's Daredevil this to this. And then there's like Daredevil 2022 to present, Daredevil 2022 to present, Daredevil 2022 to present. And I'm like, what mm -hmm. in the actual love of God is going on here? Yeah, it's um, a real mess. And, and so it would be one of these things where if there was a, you know, I think I would read more comics if it was easier for me to just dip in and read an issue here or there and have these types of experiences. So I really appreciated having these uh, because this is the kind of thing I enjoy. Yeah. I think the bigger series and you know, all that kind of stuff that can be cool too. And I've read some of those and really enjoyed them, but just from a time standpoint, being able to dip in, enjoy something and then bounce out that really spoke to me. Uh, and I yeah. wish that that was something that was, uh, I'm glad that it exists. I wish it was easier to find and was a little more accessible to get into. Oh yeah. It's, it's a mess. 
and again, like it's it's a solved mess. You could just go back and renumber them all, but mm-hmm. that would fly in the face of you know the way that archives functions. Like from they they are set up in a way that they work as an archive. If you are an archivist. But if you're just a regular Joe Schmo just trying to read it, it's not very fun <laughs> and it's not very easy. No. And guess what not. most of us are not archivists. I am definitely not. But yeah, I I just love I love a single issue that's done well. It is to me the perfect like amuse-bouche of of entertainment to me. I can get in yeah. 10 15 minutes, enjoy it and then I'm done. And then that story is done for the next month or two until the next issue comes out. And that still has at least a little bit something for me. There are a lot of comics I've stopped collecting in single issues and I will just wait for the trade. And there are, but there are still some where I'm like, no, I got to get this every month and I got to read it every month. Yeah. But we'll wrap up here. Thank you all for listening. Um, If you want to talk to us about your favorite comic series and why we should start with, x volume of y character you can always reach out to us at the middle of culture at gmail.com um and we will be back in a couple of weeks with another uh, adventurous tale for you all we shall thanks for everybody listening bye <laughs>